Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. I want to welcome you back to the program again today and trust that you've been enjoying uh, as much as I have this teaching we've been doing from the Gospel of John. It seems like the more I dig around in this book, the more I have discovered just some tremendous treasures of revelation that I did not see prior to this. And uh, you know, we began several months back teaching a series, and we began with the seven times that Jesus said, I am, in the Gospel of St. John. And he would always say that in contrast to what they thought it was. In other words, he would say to them, you thought that the bread that they ate in the wilderness was the bread, but that's natural bread, but that's not the bread. I'm the true bread. Uh, You thought that the way into uh, the covenants of promise was through the performance of old covenant rituals, but that's not the way. I'm the way. Uh, You thought that those corrupt shepherds of Israel were the shepherds, but all they did was fleece you and take your wool. But I'm the good shepherd of the sheep, and I'm the way, the truth, and the life. In other words, he began to constantly contrast uh, the seven times that he said, I am, with that the Old Testament was really pictures and snapshots of redemption of Christ. I have said this so many times, but this is so powerfully important. The Old Testament is Jesus concealed. The New Covenant is Jesus revealed. And in the volume of the book, it was written about Him. He was the promise. All the promises that God made to the fathers are fulfilled in Christ. Now, let me say before I get into the teachings of today that if you've missed any of these that we've taught, uh, you can go to our YouTube channel and you can watch anything that we have archived is there for your enjoyment and pleasure to watch at your leisure. Uh, There's also a podcast on iTunes uh, that you can listen to the audio portions and you say, well, I don't have... uh, a Apple device. Well, there is also an RSS feed for your Android with the uh, audio portions. We have made this available to you at no cost. It is our partners that have enabled us to take the gospel around the world. And we encourage you that when you enjoy these things, and if you'd like to, there's a place where you could leave an offering and give to so if you'd like to see this kind of a message continue to go as we are reaching literally the nations of the earth. And the last year was explosive for our ministry and the influence that God just, I mean, absolutely uh, just just expanded our ministry and influence. And so if you'd like to be a part of that as a growing ministry that's touching the world, please uh, become a partner with us or sell a one-time gift. The easiest way to find your way to any of those resources like YouTube or iTunes would be to go to my website, and that address is on the screen at lenhouse.com. In the upper right-hand corner, there are icons that will take you to the YouTube channel, to the podcast, also to the RSS feed. There are also uh, drop-down boxes there where you can order product from us, where you can see my itinerary. We are coming to a city near you, and we encourage you to come meet us somewhere where we're teaching. 
Now I want to get back in the Word again because we've, we've done so much teaching and it usually takes me three or four programs to just literally uh, kind of deal with one chapter. Uh, we last week, I think, uh, reviewed some things that I did not see prior to uh, the programming we did on chapters 1 and 2 of uh, the book of John, and we came back last week and kind of did some review. This week, we're going to go into John chapter 3, and we're going to talk about what I call Nick at night. Nicodemus was a man of the Pharisees. Uh, he was uh, named Nicodemus. He was a ruler of the Jews. And as we look at this chapter, once again, we must remember that John, when he wrote the book of John in chapter 20, his premise was simply this, these things are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, and that believing you would have life through His name. That was the purpose. Now, once again, one of the things that I think will help you immensely is to put yourself in what you would be the mindset of a first century Jewish ruler of the synagogue. What would you think Jesus was talking about in these scriptures? How would they have perceived it? Because when you put the audience relevance in and the historic and cultural backgrounds, stuff begins to take a completely different meaning. And the more I've studied, the more I've realized that we have truly Americanized and uh, culturalized the gospel to fit what we think it would look like in America, when we have to first of all think, what would the mindset of this audience have been? And remember, Jesus is speaking these things, and He is doing these things to show them that He is in fact the Christ, and they're convincing things, and what if we begin to do is we begin to show you how even throughout the entire book of John that the miracles that He does, the times that He says, I am, the sayings that He has on the cross, all of them are connected to uh, Old Testament pictures and types and shadows, and He's trying to shift His audience from a natural carnal view of fulfillment to a spiritual view. For instance, in chapter 1 of the book of uh, Genesis. He's trying to move them from seeing that there's just an old creation, that Jesus was the beginning also of a new creation. Uh, we're not going to go back and do a lot of review, but in chapter 2, his first miracle is at a wedding at Cana, and what he's doing is showing that this first miracle is a picture of his own wedding, and that what he's showing them is that the, the way that he's going to purify people is going to be different than it used to be, because they take six water pots that were used for purification, he fills them with water, and turns them into wine. And he's beginning to show you the powerful picture of this new covenant marriage with him. Is What he does is he takes the vessels, he fills us with his spirit, he turns the water into wine, and the Holy Spirit begins to do the work of changing us from the inside out and from uh, an internal cleansing to a, uh, an internal dwelling Holy Spirit. He begins to tell them as they are standing there in front of the temple, he's they 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 are they they are money changers that he begins to drive out of the temple, and he looks at them and said, uh, uh, "You have made my father's house 
a den of thieves. And he begins to say to them, you destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it back again. And he shifts their thinking. Now they didn't shift in their thinking, but he was trying to help them. He said, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it again. They thought he was talking about a natural building, and he was talking about a spiritual building, the temple of his own body. And so he's trying to teach them that the Old Testament language of the Scripture is trying to show you spiritual things that are coming in the New Covenant where God does not want to live in a building, He wants to live in a house. And we see that even with the woman at Samaria that we'll talk about here probably before uh, too awful long is that he tells her when she says, your people say we need to worship here and our people say we need to worship there. But Jesus said that the hour is coming and now is when true worship will worship Him and spirit and in truth. Because in the new covenant, God is not located in a building. You are no longer going to isolate Him and put Him in a box you can set in the Middle East somewhere because now the Holy Spirit comes and dwells within us and what know you not that you are the temple of the Holy Ghost. And He's trying to show them that the old covenant was natural, the new covenant is dealing with spiritual realities. I hope you can be able to make that shift because that's what's really happening as he begins to unpack some things here. Now let me begin talking here in uh, chapter 3 of the book of John without a whole lot of review of the other stuff, but said there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. He was a ruler of the Jews, and the same came to Jesus by night, and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, and no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. See, I think it's even significant, and we will see this as we go on, that the miracles that he did that were handpicked to put in the Scripture should have also been a revelation to him uh, that these these are, 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 yes, natural miracles that Jesus did, but they were really showing even a deeper and more profound picture. For instance, when he turns, uh, when he takes the children of Israel later in the, uh, the, the Gospel of John, when he takes them uh, after the feast of the Passover out into the wilderness, and 5,000 people come out, it was a picture of another exodus or wilderness journey. When Moses led the children of Israel out of Egypt, they came out into the desert right after the Passover. When Jesus comes on the scene, He is the true Passover, but He leads them out of the city, out into the wilderness. It's there He feeds the multitude and feeds the 5,000. It is there that He takes the bread and breaks it and feeds the multitudes. And they said to Him, what sign do you show us that you're the Christ? And He said this to them, your fathers ate manna in the wilderness, and they're dead. But I am the true bread that came down from heaven. In other words, he's showing them that in this exodus, he leads a group of people out of the city into the wilderness, and he feeds them the bread from heaven. In other words, he says to them, your fathers ate the natural bread. 
And these miracles should have, in the minds of a first century group of people, jarred their thinking to say, hey, wait a minute, wait a minute, I remember when Moses did this, brought them out, and God gave them bread to eat, and now here we have Jesus, the leader of another exodus, who's leading us out of an old covenant slave mentality into another place, and he's going to feed us with the true bread that came down from heaven, and he's showing us that this bread is not a natural bread. He's saying, I am the bread. So he's shifting their thinking from the natural to the spiritual, even in the miracles that he does to them. Now, let me just, without, because I could just really spend a lot of time on that, but Jesus, this, this Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night and said, we know you're a teacher come from God because nobody can do these miracles except God be with him. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Now let me say this before I forget to say because I want to come back and hit this again. He's saying to Nicodemus, who is a master teacher of Israel, that which is born of flesh is flesh. In other words, Nick, you are looking at your natural genealogy just like the rest of Israel was thinking that their connection to the natural seed of Abraham was enough. Jesus would say to them, if you were Abraham's seed, you would believe me. But you're not Abraham's seed, you are your father the devil. And Nicodemus is standing here thinking, listen, my natural ethnic background is enough. My natural birth is plenty good enough. But Jesus is saying to him, Nicodemus, I don't care if you're a Jew, and I don't care if you're a Samaritan that we'll see in the next chapter. You must be born again. And that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and what's born of the Spirit is spirit. And Nick, what he's saying is, is that if you're going to enter the kingdom, even the kingdom has to shift in your thinking as to what you perceive it is. Because you think Jesus came on the scene to lead an insurrection against the Romans and to overthrow the Roman Empire and to set up a natural kingdom. But Jesus is again beginning to shift their thinking from a natural kingdom to a spiritual kingdom. And he's saying that the only way you enter this kingdom is you must be born again. Except a man be born of the water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, you must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the spirit. Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? And Jesus answered and said unto him, Are, are you a master teacher, or are you a master of Israel, and you don't know these things? So he is telling Nicodemus, who was the master teacher of Israel, there should be something about this that's recognizable to you as a master teacher, and you don't know these things. And we're going to get into why he said that in just a few, uh, probably maybe even the next program. But he said, Verily I say unto thee, 
that we speak that we do know and testify that which we have seen and you receive not our witness. If I told you earthly things and you believe not, how shall I you believe if I tell you heavenly things? So he's trying to get Nicodemus to see there's a transition here, man. This whole book is about a transition from natural things to spiritual things. No man has ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Now I probably won't get clear into all of that uh, in this segment, but I want to come back and talk about what I, I believe that you know Nicodemus should have seen concerning the kingdom. Once again, Jesus is saying to him, are you a master teacher in Israel, and you do not know these things. And he's beginning to shift him from a natural interpretation of Scripture to understanding that God throughout the Old Testament is trying to teach them a language to be able to understand what he's about to do, and that is he's about to bring about a kingdom that's not as, not, as much natural as it is spiritual. Now let me tell them that Jesus was establishing Himself. First of all, he, He's saying to, let me just read a few things from my note. I, I put Nicodemus was a first century Jew, and Jesus was trying to get him to see that the kingdom was not like Old Covenant Israel's kingdom. Jesus was establishing Himself as the king of this kingdom. Matthew 3 uh, begins by saying, repent, change your mind, the kingdom is at hand. He was declaring the kingdom is at hand to a first century bunch of people, and he's saying repent, which means to change the way you think the kingdom of God is at hand. He's telling them to repent, change the way you think, for the kingdom is at hand. Now let me just say this to you. Of course this book right here, uh, From Law to Grace, A Kingdom Paradigm Shift, would help you immensely in understanding some of this, because I deal with a lot of stuff concerning the kingdom in this book that I'm not going to be able to deal with. You'll see that on the end of this program to be able to get that book, or you can go to the website and get it. But he was telling them the kingdom is at hand. That doesn't mean it's 2,000 years in the future. It means it was available to anybody who could metanoia, repent, change the way they think. What they needed to shift their thinking about was from moving from an old covenant to a new covenant, because the government of heaven was about to invade the earth through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so it was not, you know, I, I, people are, you know, I, I, people who do not understand, they've heard somebody else give you warnings about, beware of these guys who are preaching kingdom now and all of that, is, you know, I, I don't know what, Jesus was a kingdom now preacher. He was telling Nick, this kingdom is available. Matthew 3, he told him, it's available to you, it is at hand. If the kingdom of God it, 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 the moment you get born again, you get translated out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of His dear Son. That's kingdom, and that's kingdom right now. I'm sorry. 
If you get filled with the Holy Ghost, Jesus says the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but it's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. If you got the Holy Ghost, that's kingdom, and it's kingdom right now because it's the government of heaven living in you and manifesting itself through you. In Luke's gospel, Jesus said, if I cast out devils by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come unto you. Uh, Luke 17, he says what he was demanded of the scribes and Pharisees, when will the kingdom come? He said to them, the kingdom does not come with observation. Another translation says the kingdom of God does not come with your careful observances. Now what I really hear Jesus saying concerning that, when they ask him, when will it come? He said the kingdom is not coming through your careful observances of your divers washings and your observances of feast and times and months. Those things are a shadow according to the book of Colossians that found their fulfillment in Christ. So when he says the kingdom does not come with observation, immediately my mind goes to the book of Galatians where Paul says, I'm afraid of you Galatians. You started out in the spirit. Do you think you're going to be made perfect in the flesh? You go back and you observe. You observe. Watch that term. You observe times and feasts and months. In other words, he's saying to Israel, the kingdom is not coming through the observances of old covenant rituals. It did not produce the kingdom. But Jesus came on the scene as the royal son of David to fulfill the prophetic promise that out of the loins of David one would come that would be the king. And ah, blind Bartimaeus recognized that and tapped into that authority when he said, O son of David, have mercy on me. And even during this Christmas season, they sang glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, good will towards men. The son of David had come on the scene. He was the royal king who had been born. Unto us a child is given. Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And he was the royal son of David. He was the king of kings and he was the Lord of lords. And when he came on the scene again, he began to talk about the kingdom in different terms. And I'm concerned now, you know, there are many, many flavors of kingdom. So don't just lump all of us in the same bunch. At least consider some of the things I'm saying and what doesn't fit the scriptures. I just say cast it out, but at least pay attention and let me just challenge your thinking a little bit, because the kingdom doesn't come to the observance of old covenant rituals. Another, I, I would say it like this, even with some of the guys who think, well, the kingdom of God is going to come through political powers when we have the right people in the White House to pass certain laws. And while I do believe that we need laws to govern the ungodly and the sinner, the law does not produce the kingdom. Law changes behavior of unregenerated citizens, and we need that according to what Paul said. The law was given for sinners. But what we understand is that the kingdom doesn't come through that. In other words, you cannot legislate enough righteousness to produce the kingdom, because the kingdom is righteousness, and it's peace, and it's joy. But the end of the law, Romans says, is that there's none righteous, not even one. In other words, the observances of old covenant rituals did not produce a righteous man. 
So the kingdom didn't come through the passing of laws. The kingdom of God has to come through the government of heaven. See, law can change the behavior, but only grace can change the heart. And the new covenant is about a heart transformation. I will write my law in their hearts and their sins and iniquities. I will remember no more. Uh, A few other scriptures in John chapter 6 is they came to make Jesus a king by force. And, uh, you know, uh, he, when they came to make him a king by force, they thought he was going to be the one again who would lead a total insurrection against the Roman Empire. But Jesus fled from that because he's saying to them again uh, that you cannot force the kingdom by passing laws. Now, once again, I do believe that we are to be salt and light and we are to influence and be parts of the government and change things. I mean, I could use all kinds of patterns of Daniel and some of those guys who brought about real world change we are to do that in the kingdom of God. But the kingdom of God has to be in the hearts of men or it's not the kingdom of it all. It has to come through the born again experience. Jesus goes on to say in Luke 8, I'm sorry, John 18 verse 33, he said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it was, my servants would fight. In other words, he's trying to show them, I'm not coming to come with a sword. He said, we, so, so I wrote him, and as we cannot produce the kingdom through legislation or by force or by violence. Although his kingdom was not from this world, or it was not, yeah, it, it, although his kingdom was not from this world, it was for this world. For he did not come into the world just to die on the cross. He came into the world to be the king. And for this cause, he said, was I born. When he stood before Pilate, he said, are you the king then of Israel? He said, it is as you have said. And he said, he's saying this to him in this, this setting. He's saying that uh, if, I, if, if my kingdom was from this world, my servants would fight. But my kingdom is not from this world. It's not coming from violence. My kingdom is from above. And what he doesn't understand was Jesus, in fact, was the king. And while his kingdom was not from this world, it was absolutely for this world. His kingdom was coming. His will was about to be done in the earth. And so as, he, as we began to look at it, he said, although his kingdom was not from here, it was for here. Uh, you know, even as a matter of fact, the word gospel itself is the announcement of the good news. The word gospel has the Greek word that means the announcement of an emperor ascending to the throne. It is like the victory of Julius Caesar over Mark Anthony. The announcement is a king has won, and now a king is ascending the throne and coming to take his rightful place. That's the gospel. Jesus has won, and he's coming to take his rightful place. The Gospel of John begins by showing you the move from something natural to spiritual. In Genesis, it was a natural creation. In John 1, it is the new creation. In John 2, it is a natural wedding compared to a spiritual wedding. With Nicodemus, it is a natural birth compared with a spiritual birth. Uh, and in chapter 4 is a woman who is a Gentile receiving the kingdom and understanding that we are not just in a natural temple but a spiritual temple. Uh, the book of Hebrews declares it's a better temple with better promises, better sacrifices, a better city, a better uh, priesthood, a better Israel, etc. 
Luke 11.52 says, Woe to you lawyers, you have taken the key of knowledge, but you are not allowing them to enter the kingdom. He also says to the religious leaders, You shut up the kingdom of God. It was not about going to heaven. It was about them entering the present reality of the new covenant kingdom. We're out of time. Join us again next week. That line will come up on the screen if you'd like to sow a seed. God bless you. Thank you for watching today. I'm very excited to announce the release of my newest book. It is titled From Law to Grace, A Kingdom Paradigm Shift. In this book, we talk about how the gospel is not about a law you have to keep. It is about receiving a life that will keep you. It is not about living this life out of fear. It is about living a life of faith. It is not about rules. It's about a relationship with a loving father. It is about moving from the old covenant government of condemnation to the new covenant government of affirmation. It is about living life as a citizen of the kingdom right now.